0: Well, Happy holidays, Wild Wanderers, whatever holiday it is that you choose to celebrate this time of year. Me? I kind of prefer Joyous Yule, which is probably a result of my Swedish and Norwegian heritage. Now, it's been quite a year, both personally with the relocation of Dispatches HQ from Virginia to Wyoming, and in the natural world too. So as we bring 2023 to a close and head into 2024, I want to recap some of the notable nature news from the past 12 months. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. In and age, it sometimes seems like there's not much left that's new to discover, but it turns out that thousands of new species of plants and animals are discovered, or at least described, every year. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, some of the animals I'm about to tell you about were not necessarily discovered this year, but the papers detailing them were published this year, so we, the general public, just learned about them. So, let me tell you about just a few of the critters that 2023 gave us. Now, when it comes to insects, there's still a lot of room for those eureka moments. It's estimated that there's around 5.5 million insect species on the planet, but only about a million have actually been identified, described, and named. And with good reason. Entomologists faced a couple of challenges when it comes to identifying insect species. The first is that there can be a wide variation in appearance between even members of the same species. And the second is that many species look alike. A lot of times, the only way to really tell different species apart is by looking at their genetics, which can make identifying a new species especially challenging. But if they look and act the same, why does it matter, you might ask? Well, the answer is that it's important from a biodiversity standpoint. If all the insects of a certain species die out in a particular area, it may not just mean that we're losing part of a larger group, but an entire line of genetics, and a loss of biodiversity is never a good thing. So that's why it was pretty exciting news that researchers this year described seven new species of leaf insects. Now, stick and leaf insects are an interesting group that have evolved camouflage that makes them look like part of a plant. The scientific order they belong to includes more than 3,500 species distributed across most regions of the world. Now, most of these species look like sticks, bark, or twigs. In fact, the world's longest insect is a member of this order, a stick insect native to China that measures just over two feet long. Members of this order that look like moss, lichen, or leaves are much rarer. Of the 3,500 species, only about a hundred are leaf insects. So the discovery of seven new species is pretty significant. The new species are native to India, Vietnam, Borneo, Java, and the Philippines. Now these species were previously thought to be members of a much more common species that's widespread throughout Southeast Asia. But now, thanks to genetic analysis, they've been identified as unique species in their own right. So what other new species were discovered this year? Well, it's not just insects. A team of scientists from Germany and India described a new species of catfish in the southern Indian state of Kerala. But it wasn't the team of scientists that first discovered it. It was just regular folks that brought the rare fish to their attention, which is why it was dubbed Haranglinus Populi, Populi being Latin for public, since the public helped discover it, which also goes to show the importance of community science. Now, this catfish isn't something you're going to catch on a rod and reel or by going hillbilly hand fishing for a couple of reasons. First of all, they live mostly inside groundwater aquifers. That's right, it's a subterranean catfish. Second of all, this catfish is tiny, less than an inch and a half or 35 millimeters long. They appear blood red, but that's only because their skin is pigmentless. Not unusual in cave-dwelling fish, but unlike other cave dwellers that look pink or white, the skin of these catfish is transparent, so the blood-red color is literally their blood showing through their skin. Like other catfish, they have barbels or whiskers, four pair in their case, and no eyes, which is not surprising since they spend their lives in complete darkness. Seeing one of these fishes is rare, but when wells in this area are dug out or cleaned, sometimes they're found. As part of a long-term project, locally-trained citizen scientists who found these catfish in dugout wells of various parts of the region handed them over to scientists. The scientists also collected these catfish from various other places like wells, above-ground tanks, shallow wetlands, water channels, ponds, caves, home gardens, and irrigation for plantations. What they found was that these fish are endemic to the aquifers in this region, which just happens to be a global hotspot for subterranean fish species. Now, this presents an enormous challenge when it comes to conservation, because these aquifers are also an important source of water for agriculture and household use. Extensive and unregulated water extraction are a threat, as is seawater intrusion, groundwater pollution, and soil mining for development. Okay, so far we've had insects and a fish. How about a new frog? Researchers in Peru this year discovered a new species of tree frog. Just discovered, and already in trouble. This frog's habitat is being threatened by wildfires. Interestingly, the frog also has a bright orange pattern on their groins, thighs, and shanks that are said to resemble flames. Now, I'll spare you my attempt at pronouncing the Latin name that it was given, but the translation from Latin means groin of fire. You know, I think there's a cream for that. Not to be outdone in the name game, in another part of Peru, high in the Andes Mountains, another team of researchers discovered a new species of snake and named it Tachymenoides harrisonfordii. Yep, they named the snake Harrison Ford, after the actor, Harrison Ford, to honor his history of environmental advocacy. For the record, this is not the first species named after Harrison Ford. There's also a spider and an ant that bear his name. Harrison Ford, the snake, is harmless to humans. I mean, as far as I know, Harrison Ford, the actor, is also harmless to humans. Color-wise, Harrison Ford, the snake, is copper and deep brown with amber-colored eyes. Good camouflage in the high alpine swamp where it lives. Fully grown, it measures about 16 inches long, and it's a good thing that the groin of fire frog doesn't live nearby because Harrison Ford's diet, still talking about the snake here, is mostly frogs and lizards. Not far away, still in the Andes, but in Ecuador, researchers found not one, but two new species of tarantula. The first one is just over an inch long and is described as covered in long hair, I mean long for a spider. They dubbed this spider the Time-Counted Tarantula because, they felt, its days might be numbered. So far they've only been found in a limited area, and while this region is known for biodiversity, it's also an area that's highly threatened by mining operations, both legal and illegal, habitat loss, and the potential for introduction of invasive species. The second tarantula found by these same researchers was given a more ominous name, the Satan tarantula. The Satan tarantula can reach just over two inches long and its legs are also covered in long gold-colored hair along with a fringe on its face. Honestly, its legs look like pipe cleaners. But why the Satan moniker? Well, apparently, the one the researchers captured to take back to the lab was very defensive and became known for sporadic attacks. Satan tarantulas live in the forests of the Andes Mountains at elevations between 2,800 and 3,100 feet. So far, they've been found in two neighboring provinces in central Ecuador, making them slightly less rare than their time-counted counterparts, but still in danger due to a limited habitat deforestation, and the introduction of non-native species. So in addition to these, 2023 gave us new species of lobsters, octopus, cave spiders, and a pit viper, just to name a few. But not all the new species discovered this year were alive. Some new species, long extinct, were identified from fossils. Some of these include a bat that had a wingspan of over 5 feet, or 1.5 meters, and was thought to feed on both insects and fruit. Now, nude bat species in the fossil record are really interesting, because bats don't fossilize well, and it's estimated that only about 12% of all bat species that have ever existed have been identified in the fossil record. Meanwhile, in New Zealand, Hi, New Zealand! The fossilized remains of two different species of prehistoric penguins were found in 57-million-year-old boulders that had cracked open. One of these species is thought to be the largest species of penguin that ever lived, standing over 5 feet tall, or again, 1.5 meters, and weighing up to 350 pounds, or nearly 159 kilograms. That's a big penguin. Now, speaking of extinct, there were several cases this year of animals that were thought to be extinct, only to be rediscovered look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. For example, the de golden mole in South Africa. One of only 21 species of golden mole, 10 of which are critically endangered, the last confirmed sighting of this mole was in 1936, and it was thought that they had gone extinct. Now, golden moles are blind, but they have strong navigational abilities and enhanced hearing that can detect prey underground. They get their name because they release an iridescent oil that lubricates their fur as they dig through sand. But their movement through sand dunes doesn't produce visible, traceable tunnels, which makes them even harder to find. Also, kind of like leaf bugs, De Winton's golden moles looked just like every other golden mole. So, in order to confirm that the species was not, in fact, extinct, researchers needed to get a DNA sample. And how they did it is an interesting story and a testament to modern technology. The researchers started by interviewing local community members at locations where they thought these animals might be found. Then, they trained a border collie, a certified, very good girl named Jessie, to lie on the ground when she smelled a different golden mole species. Why a different species? Because they didn't have a sample of a Dewinton's golden mole to train her with. So when the team found golden mole tracks and burrows, and Jesse didn't lie down, it suggested that, perhaps, Dewinton's golden moles might be in the area. But that's not definitive. All it really meant is that it wasn't the species of golden mole that Jesse was trained on. So at each site the dog identified, or technically didn't identify, the team collected environmental DNA, or eDNA. eDNA is genetic material shed by organisms and left behind in the environment. It can be found in feces, mucus, skin, hair, or carcasses. With advancements in collecting and sequencing eDNA, researchers have used it to study species that are endangered, rare, or otherwise hard to catch. It lets scientists identify the presence of animals and study their movement across space and time without the need to capture or even see them. So, during their field work, some of this eDNA collected didn't match any other golden mole species, again, suggesting that it might be DeWinton's golden mole. But the researchers weren't able to confirm that this eDNA was from a Dewinton's golden mole until a separate team sequenced the species' DNA from a museum specimen. The researchers used the eDNA data to confirm the presence of four species of golden mole, including Dewinton's, and map the area that each of them occupy along South Africa's west coast. Since the expedition, the team has found evidence of four additional golden mole species. The researchers think that de Winton's golden moles may be widespread, but not necessarily abundant, so it's important to gather more data on their distribution and abundance because of the threat to their habitat, primarily from diamond mining. Another animal that was rediscovered, this one hiding in the remote mountains of Indonesia, was the Attenborough's long-beaked echidna, named after British naturalist David Attenborough, which was photographed by a trail camera for the first time in over 60 years. The species has only been scientifically recorded one time before by a Dutch botanist in 1961. Echidnas, sometimes called spiny anteaters, are a species of monotreme, mammals that lay eggs, and are best described as having the spines of a hedgehog, the snout of an anteater, and the feet of a mole. Long-beaked echidnas have sharp, tiny spines on their tongues that help them capture their prey, worms, and insect larvae. They have no teeth, so they break down their food by grinding it between the bottom of their mouth and their tongue. Now, someday I'll do an episode on echidnas. I've done an episode on other non-placental mammals, but here's a teaser. Male echidnas have a venomous spur on their back leg and a four-headed penis. Now that got your attention, didn't it? Okay, one last bit of nature news that came in just under the wire. And this one is not about a new species or a rediscovered one, but about reintroducing a species to an area that it was extirpated from. Monday, December 18th, the state of Colorado released five wolves, three males and two females, into the wild into the western part of the state, with five more to be released in the next few months. Eventually, the plan calls for between 30 and 50 wolves to be released. The wolves were captured and brought to Colorado from Oregon and are the first wild wolves in Colorado in over 40 years. The reintroduction was approved by Colorado voters in 2020 and marks the first time that voters decided to reintroduce a native species. Now as you might expect, not everyone was thrilled about the decision to reintroduce wolves into the state. Ranchers and many rural communities see wolves as a threat to livestock and hunting. In fact, two ranching groups filed a last-minute lawsuit to try and stop the reintroduction, but on December 15th, a judge ruled that the state could move ahead with the plan. Now, there are programs in place to compensate ranchers for livestock losses and to remove individual wolves if they consistently cause problems. To learn more about wolves and how they impact their environment, go back and listen to episode 10 of this podcast. And that seems like the perfect ending to this episode and this year. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Please like and follow or subscribe to the podcast. Don't be shy. Leave me a comment if you have one. I'd love to hear from you. Some other ways you can support the podcast? Get the word out. If you like it, tell someone else. Word of mouth is the best advertising. Check out our Patreon page and become a patron. Subscriptions start at the low, low price of just $5 a month, and after three months, you get some cool merchandise. I'm thinking about offering some webinars in 2024. You wouldn't have to be a Patreon member to register, but that would be included with your Patreon subscription at all levels. You can find all the information on patreon.com forward slash dispatchesfromtheforest. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, you can do that through PayPal. Dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com is my PayPal address and a great way to contact me if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. Check out our merch store at cafepress.com forward slash dispatchesfromtheforest. There's lots of options there, so there's surely something you'll like or you can use. For additional content, check out Dispatches from the Forest on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm your host, Tim, the Nature Nerd O'Hara, wishing you a happy new year and reminding you to go outside and get dirty. Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast, whole or in part, without express written permission. Bye-bye, boys! Have fun storming the castle! Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye!